chapter 1. Let's continue our study in Mark. Set this out of the way. I pray that so far it's been a blessing. Last last week I I felt like I was laboring the point about the prophetic context, but I pray that it'll that that will continue to set our table. The beginning, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what has been proclaimed from the very beginning, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That very thing that, that, uh, that, we, that He was crucified for. That very truth that they called to cause this world, the, the, the Jews the lost Jews to say that he was a blasphemer was the very truth that's been proclaimed from the very beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written. So so the beginning of the gospel had a context. Now, we talked about this last week, but Mark did not quote the Old Testament much. In fact, this is one of two times he does. Matthew quoted it a lot. Luke made reference quite a bit. Uh, John did as well as he proclaimed, as, Jesus, as he zeroed in on what Jesus Christ taught about himself specifically. But Mark, he's writing to a Roman audience, but he still makes scripture that was written before the ground from which he starts. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. We talked about the difference in the wording there. This is the wording of Christ. Christ, and that is Mark, Mark is using according to these same words quoted in Matthew 11 and I think Luke 7. I don't remember the exact places, the place in Luke. But this is the wording of Christ. Whereas Malachi said, God, Jehovah, Yahweh says, I will send my messenger before my face. Jesus inserted himself as the fulfillment that he was the subject or the object to which Christ was speaking or that Jehovah was speaking. So we see both the unity and the, uh, the, uh, and the Trinity there working together. As it is written, the prophets, in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. That's quoting Malachi. And now he quotes Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So that was the expectancy of the gospel. Mark was arguing that the gospel was not something that just happens it was something that was expected. And there was expected a time that there would be an announcer, a herald, one preparing the way for the Lord Himself to come. That was the expectancy. We pick up from there. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out 
unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So we're moving now from the expectancy of the, of the gospel as it began to the actuality of the beginning. Mark states as a matter of fact that John was the fulfillment of what was stated in the prophets. So if you're following the logic so far of how this text is flowing, he says the beginning of the gospel, it was written, and John did in verse 4. So he is proclaiming, uh, he was proclaiming as a matter of fact the fulfillment of the gospel. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He is proclaiming clearly that that is the fulfillment of that. That this that John did and was do, uh, that what he did and was teaching was that which Malachi and Isaiah said would be. This is his apologetic. If you you can see that he is giving an apologetic, um, that in, in much the way that others did as well. And this is a general summary, verse 4 here, or verse 4 is a general summary of the historic ministry of John. John did these things in fulfillment of the Scripture. It was fulfilled in real history, and we get the time of it by Luke chapter, in, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Sometime, it gives us the actual time, and he says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eteria, of the region of Trachonicus. But anyway, I'm not going to read those words because I'm going to fumble all over them. But it happened in real time. This is a real moment of history. Sometime, if depending on variations of the calendar, either A.D. 26 or from A.D. 29, somewhere in that range, this happened. It happened in real time. It happened in real space. Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 says he came preaching in the region in in the region of Judea. And Mark himself is giving a real space here where he talks about in verse 5 uh, the river of Jordan. And of course he's giving uh, that's not how it would be stated to those actually living there. He's talking to a Roman audience of, about the terrain there. But um, it happened in real time and in real space. John, literally it says, the one baptizing and preaching. Uh, and, and it gives that word baptism is actually a participle. It's, uh, uh, he is the one baptizing. And he was known as the one that did these things. If you were to, mention, if you were to get into a time machine and go back 
and just randomly in those days go around and, say, and ask people about John, if you were to mention his name, they would say, oh yeah, he's that one baptizing. And, uh, and, and uh, he's that one that, that was giving a baptism that has a specific meaning to it. This is why they called him John the Baptist. It, this, this was his entire myth. This is what he was about. This is what he was doing. He was the one baptizing and teaching the baptism. <laughs> so he was all about his baptism, and hence they called him the Baptist. This is both what he did and what he taught. And this is clear from the Scriptures. He was here baptizing and proclaiming a baptism. So that's what I want to talk to you about today is what he was proclaiming. First, let's, let's, go, let's go over this text. John did baptize in the wilderness. What is his baptism? And what was it proclaiming? These are two separate questions. Let's talk about first, what is his baptism? Uh, the verb, baptizo, we, uh, we unfortunately never had this word translated in our in our English Bible that you and I have, they simply transliterated it, so we talk about baptism. Uh, what, what this word means is to submerge or to dip into something. That's what the verb itself means. It is a cognate of, of, of a noun, uh, baptism. Uh, it, it can be used for the idea of washing, and if that wa- but that washing has to be something that signifies something done thoroughly or completely, leaving no part that is not brought under the cleansing. Mark himself would use that same word, baptism, um, in Mark 7, 4 to signify that. Mark 7, verse 4, and when they come to the market, except they wash, that's that word baptize there, Unless they wash, they eat not. That gives the idea of a cleansing. And there's other places like Luke chapter 11, 38 that give that same, that same uh, word. So we're talking about a thorough cleansing there of the cleansing of the hands, but, but it gives the idea of a washing. In this sense, the term baptize was used and practiced as to the washing of a thing, the sanctifying of it, for a certain use. They would, they, they would baptize vessels and things like that in the sense that they would wash them. And no doubt that is part of what is happening here with John. Only it was not a vessel, it was not hands, it was not part of one's body, but it was the whole of one's person being washed. In fact, Peter would later connect the concept of baptism to a washing. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 and I promise you I'm going to get somewhere. I just want to talk about what it means to baptize something. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, we have, uh, have somewhat of a controversial text, or at least some have made it controversial. He says, for Christ also has suffered, or uh, I'm sorry, verse 21, is uh, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, 
but the answer of a good conscience. How Peter was connecting this also to the idea of a washing, this idea of baptism. So we become members or vessels that can be used because of washing, because of sanctifying. With that being said, what John was doing here was something unique. There have been people to say, well, he was just simply going through some kind of rites or something like that that were done in the temple, and they would come and they would go before the laver and they'd do this washing, washing, and then they would be able to be sanctified to go further into the temple. No, what John was doing here was unique. And hence, they were talking about him being the one baptizing and teaching a baptism. That, that, so he was doing something very much unique and not just a ritual washing like the Pharisees were practicing in various ways when they talked about washing their hands or, or things of that nature. Uh, but he was doing something that was unique, something that had not yet been done and something about uh, this process that had not yet been taught. So it wasn't just a, an old ritual that was being done in the wilderness by John the Baptist. He, he did it in the Jordan River uh, here in Mark 1.9. We, we read that. He did it there in the Jordan. Uh, he did it in John chapter 3, verse 23, in another place, of the, uh, another river, a place where there was much water. And that signifies the fact that they were talking about going down into the water completely and totally, and it was not an act that had before been practiced. The act was simply this. They would go down into the water after being fully submerged or immersed, which is what the word means, they would come back out. Now that's just a physical act of baptism. Now, that in and of itself would be very odd if there wasn't something being taught about it, which we're going to talk about in a second, but, but that was what the act was, and hence much water was needed. The act, that, as we'll see, the act will correspond with the message, though. One cannot be baptized, without getting too much into what this, the meaning of it, one could not be baptized by John without committing their whole self to the water. And we still practice it that very same way today, right? <laughs> you can't be baptized without committing yourself wholly to the water. So it will be with the medium of repentance that we're going to see in a second, or, or with our, the, what we practice, the truths of the gospel, so will it be with the baptism that we practice from them. And given the fact that this is the beginning of the gospel, the, these ideas are not totally unrelated. The Geneva Bible contained this note. The Jews used many kinds of washings, but here a peculiar kind of washing is spoken of, which contains within it true baptism, amendment of life, and forgiveness of sins. I think we put so... I think we put less emphasis on baptism than it was in the early church. The early Christians, and, and I'm seeing this more and more as I'm trying to read more of that early Christian literature, uh, would often encourage one another, remember your baptism. 
Why was that important? Remember your baptism. In fact, Paul, we're going to go to here in a little bit, is going to run into some disciples of John that had not yet heard Christ, and he's going to ask them once, to what were you baptized? That became an important focal point. Remember your baptism, the early Christians would often say. Remember what you did, what it meant, what you confess to give yourself wholly over to. That was why they would have that normal way of speech. Remember your baptism. It, it, it was such an event that was here being administered by John. This was, this was a focal point for those that heard him to give themselves over to this baptism. There can be no doubt that it was meant to be a full commitment to the truth that it represented. How will that differ from, for them and us in the gospel age is a deeper subject for later. Obviously, uh, the idea of baptism would become a progressive, and, and a progressive revelation in and of itself because Christ would, even John here is going to later say, I'm baptizing you this way, but there's something greater coming. There's one coming and he's going to baptize you in a greater way. And even Jesus Christ Himself says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. So this is part of a progressive understanding that was beginning to develop here. This was the seeds of that very thing. And we would have the later teachings of Paul where he says, as many have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ in a very specific way. And the teachings of Christ Himself would say, go and now baptize in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name or There was one name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so so this was not meant to be a complete and total understanding of all things here that John was practicing and how what he did differs from what we do um, is a subject that we'll get deeper and deeper in. So we can ask the question then, before we get into what it meant, was this a Christian baptism? It's not a trick question. It's just something to think about. Was this a Christian baptism? And what are are our arguments concerning this? Well, let me give you a few arguments. Uh, There's no record of the first disciples that began to follow Christ who were originally John's disciples ever got re-baptized. Amen? Uh, You don't don't find that Jesus Christ when he received Andrew and Peter and John and all them that he says, okay, you were baptized by John, now I'm going to re-baptize you. So that, that, that's just not something you read in the Scriptures. Um, however, the Jews were offered baptism again at Pentecost. When they says, what, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he says, the promises to you and to your children there. We have that famous uh, quote there in Acts 2.38. He says, repent, same message as John, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Were there those that had previously there at the day of Pentecost had been previously baptized by John? We don't know. The text does not say, but we do know. Go to Acts chapter 19. And we will visit Acts 19 again here in a second. But Acts chapter 19, and I'm, why, I'm too far. Acts 19 and verse 5. Here we have Paul, he he has ran into these disciples of John. He asked them the question, unto what, in verse 3, unto what you were baptized? And they say, unto John's 
baptism. And then Paul said, John verily baptized you with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so here we have the idea that, that the followers of John who had not yet believed on Christ were baptized now in the name of Jesus Christ. So we can say this, Christian baptism is not the same as John, John's baptism, but the baptism which you and I practice derived from what John did. They were obviously related, and in that sense, it is the beginning of the gospel here, which is the same gospel which you and I presently believe, just not in its fullness John was looking for one to come. Once that was fulfilled, we are no longer looking for one to come. We're looking for one that's already been here. We believe upon him. So let's get to the teaching. So that's what John was doing here in Mark 1. John did baptize in the wilderness. He was practicing it. They were, they were coming to him. They were going into the water. They were being immersed in the water. They were coming back out of the water. But the act itself was not the teaching. It represented something, just like what we do in the baptistry represents something. This, that was the act. Now, what was the teaching? And, and we'll ask another question here in a second. What did, how did that relate to the fulfillment of the prophets? But I'll put a pin in that for a second. He was declaring a baptism. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism. He preached the baptism. And he wasn't preaching that if you get into the water, everything's going to be all right. He was preaching a baptism of repentance. Water was the medium. He says, I baptize you with or by water. But not the content of what he was teaching. It was the baptism of repentance, metanoia, it, it, that, that was being done. It was here called, in the genitive, the baptism of repentance. Elsewhere, it's all used in the accusative, the baptism unto or to repentance, like Matthew 3.11 uses it in the accusative. It is obvious that the fuller meaning involved the aspect of believing that one was coming before whom repentance was necessary. The message was simple. The Lord's coming. Repent and be baptized. So the fuller meaning was is that one was coming. Again, if you're already still in Acts 19, I don't know if you are. If so, I'm really sorry that I've been leading you around. But listen again. We, we read over it really fast, but Paul gave a summary of John's message. The Lord's coming, and you necessarily need to repent. He says, verse 5, verse 4 of Acts 19, Then said Paul, 
John verily or truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him. We get that same thing in our text as Mark unfolds. And he says, that is Jesus Christ. But here it's not known who the one coming is, but He was baptizing the baptism of repentance, and the message was, one's coming, get ready. Or as James would later say to us, or to the Jewish believers after Christ came, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before your Lord. The Lord's coming. That was the, sub, that was the essence of the message. And Paul gave that summary. Paul gave the same summary in Acts chapter 13. If you want to go back a couple verses. Acts 13. I know this is more like a Bible study and less like a preaching service. And I, I appreciate you indulging me a little bit as we try to as we try to ascertain what's going on here that Mark is declaring. But, Mark, but Acts 13 and verse 24, uh, Paul again says in verse 24, When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance of all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. We're going to come back to this idea when we get deeper into our text in Mark. But what was John's message? What was this baptism of repentance? The baptism of repentance was centered around this prophecy. The Lord himself is coming. The Lord is coming. Get ready. Repent. Be cleansed before his coming. Holy, give yourself over to that. And there it was. It's what this, this was here in Acts 13. It's important for us to see in Acts 13 that this is what John first preached to Israel. This wasn't something that John developed. Well, he started to develop. He started baptizing and, and uh, he, he started doing this. And then he says, okay, we're, we're going to say this is repentance. And now, okay, now, now one's coming. We, we, you don't get that idea in the scriptures. This is what was first preached by John. One is coming. And hence here in Mark, it's called the beginning of the gospel. The coming one was central to this matter of repentance. You cannot separate that Christ was coming from this idea of repentance being shown by baptism. And the context bears this out. Baptism then was a symbolic act of open repentance. Hey, what is it to us, by the way? What does our baptism mean to us? Virtually the same thing. That's why they said, remember your, remember your baptism. Why? Because that was confession. <laughs> that was us confessing Christ openly. Now today we've replaced that with other things, or at least uh, unfortunately uh, we've replaced baptism with filling out a card and raising a hand or doing something else like that. No, but if you're, if you're confessed, that was your confession. I believe upon Christ. I believe what He did for me. And And then it was a symbolic act of open repentance and faith that they believed Christ was indeed coming. 
that the, that the Lord was on His way. And they believed it. And they repented and went into the water confessing that very truth. That's what they were showing. Baptism was the means of expressing their repentance. Their faith that one was coming. And we know that because guess what? If they didn't, if they didn't repent before they got to the water, what did John do? We still see that in Matthew 3. Go over that. Go over to Matthew 3. He just didn't baptize every Tom, Dick, and Harry that came around saying, Hey, I want to take part in this thing that you're doing. And well, here, here we see uh, Matthew 3 8. It says, says everybody was coming, people were being baptized. In fact, a lot of people, a lot of different classes of people in Luke 3 were being baptized. But here comes the Pharisees. And it says in verse 7, But when he saw many, uh, what verse before that, And they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Who was baptized? All of Jerusalem and Judea and the regions around the Jordan. They were coming out, they were being baptized. But then... When he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or suitable for repentance. And think not to say we have Abraham as our father and some of the very things that they would say in the, very, in the ministry of Christ as he was walking uh, among them as well. That we don't need this. We don't need to... He would not baptize those who were not confessing repentance. What is repentance? By the way, repentance is not a work. Amen? Uh, repentance is a grace. God grants repentance. He granted to the Gentiles repentance. It's a grace. But what is it? How do you describe repentance? Well, that word metanoia just simply means change of mind. That's a... Uh, compound word, the word change and the word mind being put together. Repentance is a change of mind. Thayer stated this about the Greek word. He says, especially a change of mind of those who began to abhor their errors and misdeeds and have determined to enter upon a better course of life so that embraces both a recognition of sin and sorrow for, for it and a hearty amendment. I don't know how much I agree particularly with some of the works uh, ideas there or there, but this completely change of mind. The offer of baptism was a means of them saying, I was wrong. Amen? That's what they were doing when they came to John. The Lord's coming, and I'm wrong. I'm sinful. I, I, I'm not ready. For the Lord to come. I'm not ready to stand before the Lord when He gets here. Uh, there, there is something wrong with me. And by consequence, there's something wrong, not just the way with I think, but there's something way wrong with my conduct that comes from my thinking. That's That if the one that is to come would come right now, what would I be before Him but guilty? That's what they were saying. They no longer wanted to continue in a state that they were unready to meet their Lord. Christian baptism was meant to be a fuller extension of that very truth. 
what were we confessing before we got into the water? I'm a sinner and I need what this represents in order to walk in newness of life. That's, that's, that's the language we use. That's the language we get from the Scripture. That's why we use it. Buried with Him in baptism, raised with Him to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, that very, that very same language. That I am, it's a picture of our repentance just as John's baptism was a picture of their repentance. It's a fuller understanding. Baptism doesn't cause repentance. It's an expression of repentance. Further, there was an expectation of mercy here in Mark. Mark chapter 1 again, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What was the concern that they had when they came to John? The Lord's coming and I'm a sinner. And what was John offering them? Forgiveness of sin through, from repent, through repentance. See, John was, might have been the last prophet of the law, but he was preaching grace. Amen? Grace in a way that, that, that they had not heard before. The expectation of mercy towards their sin on the basis of their repentance. With repentance comes the acknowledgement of sin and the expectation that if you repent... God will be merciful. I like the word forgiveness here. It's most likely a dative of association. Uh, repent, the forgiveness of sin is associated with the repentance that was shown by the baptism. The amazing thing here, though, is that remission of sins was preached as attainable. Not by sacrifices, not by Levitical sacrifices, as Ben Gale pointed out, but by repentance and faith centered on one that is coming. This was a change in how they saw, if we go to the temple, God will accept us. If we bring this sacrifice, God will accept us. If, if we go through this hoop and that hoop, and God will then know if you repent... You'll be cleansed from your sin. What a change that was. So, I don't know how much time I have. How did it relate to the fulfillment of the witness of God? It's simply this. What was said of John, of prophesied of John the Baptist is every valley would be, would be uh, exalted and every mountain would be leveled. <laughs> The hearts of the children would turn to the fathers, the fathers to the children. There was a leveling of all, a preparing of all for the Lord. He came crying aloud, showing men their sins, Isaiah 55, 1. He demanded the repentance, demanded that they prepare to meet their Lord. This was a full fulfillment of what was expected. He turned their hearts to the Lord. And ultimately, with that thing that would be so easily adapted to the understanding of the gospel, this baptism, and it was written beforehand, and John indeed came, baptizing and preaching baptism.
And here we then we have the reception. And I, I can just go over this real quick. Verse 5. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. They came confessing their sins. They came saying that they are not worthy or ready to receive the one that was coming. And they repented and they subjected themselves to the baptism. In this moment in history describes the effectiveness of the fulfillment of the prophecy. Who came? All all of them came. God prepared a people for the Lord. By the way, where did the first disciples come from? Stated the crowds that flocked to this baptism included representatives from every class. Pharisees and Sadducees showed up. Tax collectors, Luke 3.12 showed up. Soldiers showed up, Luke 3.14. The poor showed up, Luke 3.10. All of them did. They came out to a prophet of God. They came from all the region of Judea. They came from Jerusalem. The whole of the nation was affected by the preaching of John. And they, their hearts were prepared for the coming of the Lord. And the first of many imperfects here in John, they continuously came. They continuously were being baptized. This was a, a moving story. They, they came out and were being baptized. There was a repeated throng of people that believed the message of John. They were confessing out or outwardly, saying the same thing about, what God, about their sin that God had declared through John. They confessed fully, wholeheartedly, holding nothing back. That's the idea, confessing their sins. They were holding nothing back. They were all in, looking for their Lord. And on the cusp of this context, Jesus Christ came out from among them and himself was baptized to identify with sinners and to be believed upon in this world. I hope you received something. I know this is more of a Bible study, but I hope we're understanding a little bit of this context of the first uh, of what when Christ was first preached in this world. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.